If you have a Bible, join me in Psalm 139. If you have an uh, electronic device, dial it up. Psalm 139. You know, there are 150 psalms. Choosing which ones to preach has not been the easiest choice because there's so many good places to read and meet the Lord. I want you to imagine, because I hope in weeks and years to come you will imagine, that you wake up, you get a cup of coffee, you've got a little time, and you grab your Bible and decide to just talk to God, you and your Bible. And you open up your Bible and you don't quite know where to turn. You look at a calendar and you realize the day of the month and you think, oh yeah, somebody told me that there are 31 days and the biggest month we have in the 31 Proverbs, so I can just turn to that one and read. Or there are 150 Psalms. And I know some of you don't want to go to school, but dividing 150 by 30, you can read through in five months, if you will. Or for those of you that are really gifted in math or find some place to write it down, put 0, 30, 60, 90, 120, and use a base 30 and just add the day of the month, and you'll always know where to turn. I like math. That was easy for me. So it's the 19th day of the month. You've been reading through the Psalms, and now you're in that last cycle from 120 all the way to 150. And by the way, I know it's not the 19th, okay? I know that, all right? But I told you to imagine, okay? All right? Uh, you're imagining it's the 19th, right? And you're in that 120 cycle, so you add 19 to 120, and you come to Psalm 139. And you say, wow, I remember this psalm. There are two or three verses in here that I can just take out and meditate on and chew on. It's an incredible cry to the Lord. Because remember, the whole thing we said about studying the psalms is that we would be finding ourselves saying, to you, O Lord. It's a soul lifter. It's the head lifter. It's looking to God and listening to God. And so you bring yourself before the Lord. You open your Bible. You come to this psalm. And here's what you read. Let's read it together. I'm not sure which translation we're going to find up here, Nick. I didn't ask you which one you put on the screen. So... We'll all just read this one that we can see together, all right? Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest, and you are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me and have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty, and I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Can I flee from your presence? If I 
go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. I live in the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits. Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. And to get real here, he talks about a problem right now in his life, people searching him. God, if only you would kill the wicked. Your bloodthirsty men stay away from me. Who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. But search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. And see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Now, we just did something that I don't suggest you do. To read the psalm for mileage just to get through it. But if you do it that way, come back and find at least one piece of meat that you can stop. Because I assure you, you can take a verse and find yourself not able to go any further than that verse. Let's go back through this psalm together. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Listen to what David's saying. He's saying, you have examined my life. You know everything about me. You know everything I do. You know everything I've done. Lord, you have searched me. You are the all-knowing God. You may not use regular theology words in your description of your relationship to God. But don't be afraid of words like omniscient, omni, all. He knows all. David's sitting before the Lord and he says, Lord, you've searched me. Now, I listened to an old California pastor as he was preaching this, and I heard the first part of his sermon. And he said, this word, Lord, you have searched me, in the Hebrew, it means to dig. And so he said, I want you all to know that God digs you, all right? 
And they chuckled, and I went, oh, bad, that's bad. But I just had to tell you, all right? I, I wanted you to think about it for a minute, that God searches the depth of you. I mean, that's a pretty scary thought, that he knows everything about me. He, know every, he knows everything I do. He knows everything I've done. Now, look at the next verse. You scrutinize my path, he said. You search out my path. Excuse me, I got to go to verse 2. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. Think about that. God knows when I stand. God knows when I sit. And even beyond that, God knows before I know I'm even going to do it, that I'm going to do it. If that kind of knowledge would weigh upon us, he says in verse 3, you scrutinize my path, you search my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all of my ways. My path and my lying down. My travels and my rest, this translation says. God knows our public life. He knows our private life. He knows our daytime life. He knows our nighttime life. He knows us at work. He knows us at rest. He knows everything about us. He is aware of all of my ways. There's a New Testament verse that comes to mind when I read this. It's in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And when God is talking about the power of his word in verse 12, he goes on to say after he opens up his word to us, the next verse says in verse 13, Hebrews 4, 13, everything is laid open and bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Think about that. Everything. We're going to have to give an account to him and everything is laid open and bare before him. You know, we have a tendency with each other to think, if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to be with me. I mean, if you really knew, not just my Sunday self, I mean, if you knew me, If you knew what I'd done, if you knew where I'd been, if you knew what I had thought, you wouldn't want to be with me. That's why we often play this game of rewriting our resumes to each other. (laughs) Have you ever had to put together a resume for a certain job and you decided, okay, I'll put these things on there because it applies to this job. Won't put the other, not that I'm hiding them, I'm just trying to present the right things at the right time. And oh, how we do that to each other. But somehow, in a really silly way, we think we can do that to God. And the psalmist said, when I stop, I realize There's absolutely nothing that I've done that you don't know. But the songwriter got it right. The one who knows me best 
loves me most. It ought to go so deeply into our life to know that God knows everything about us and loves us anyway. You know, there's something that God has never once thought or said. I didn't know that. God's never said that, all right? God's never been shocked by anything we try to tell him. He has always known everything about us. The scripture says, even before there's a word on my tongue, Lord, you have known it altogether. Now, let me illustrate this. There's just some people that you know so well that you know what they're about to say, right? I mean, this happens all the time with uh, husbands and wives. I mean, KK and I will be in a conversation with somebody, and I'll look at her, and I'll realize that just made her think of that, and that just made me think of that, and now we're going to fight to who gets to tell the story first, right? At their times, I don't know why husbands and wives do it, that, that one tries to correct the other and make all the details fit in there. Sometimes just let it go, all right? Just let them go ahead and tell the story, but... The, the funny thing is, if you really know somebody, you can finish their sentences. I can illustrate it there, but I can actually illustrate it in the workplace. I am so very fortunate to work with a guy who knows me extremely well, but has a different gift than I do. We were on the team together at the International Mission Board. We're on the team together now at the North American Mission Board. Sometimes I feel sorry for Jerry because I'm about to tell a story that I know he already knows. And bless his heart, he laughs anyway. Okay, he pretends like he's heard it for the first time. But the cool part about it is he so knows what I want that I don't have to finish my sentence for him to know how to go and make that happen. Because at work, I'm the guy that thinks of it. Jerry's the guy that does it, all right? That's how we work. Now, if I have you thinking about those who know what you're thinking and about to say, listen again to the psalmist. Before there was even a word on my tongue, Lord, you knew it. And then... He takes one step further. These first six verses go together describing it. He takes one step further. And this translation says, you've circled me in. But many translations say, you have hemmed me in before and behind. You have, you've come before me. When I, when I look, you're there. When I look back, you're there. God, everywhere I look, you're there. And you put your hand on me, not to hurt me, but to provide for me. And then I have to say with the psalmist his worshipful conclusion. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's beyond me. It's so lofty I cannot reach it. Did you know that a high theology will result in a high doxology? A good view of God will result in good praise. A good understanding of who he is will always call out of me a heart of worship. We've defined it often 
as a church family. Worship is seeing God for who he is and seeing myself in the light of who he is and me responding to him for who he is. That's what David says in verse 6. This kind of knowledge is beyond my reach and I just humble myself and say, God, you are way too smart for me. First, he is all-knowing. Next, he is everywhere. Think about it. We're just like little kids. We think we can hide and God won't find us. Oh, we're too smart to admit that, but we sure find ourselves at times living like that. So David goes through a litany of describing the omnipresence of God, that he is everywhere. Listen to what he says in these next six verses. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Can I get away from you, God? You know, there's some people that stop coming to church. I'm not saying anybody that misses a church on a given Sunday, this is their motive. But there's some people that stop coming to church because they don't want to be reminded that God is there. Uh, They're thinking, if I can keep running, then I won't know that he's there. So David says, so how am I going to get away from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? So he makes a list. If I could go up to heaven and experience eternity, I'm going to find you there. If I go down into Sheol, that's the old Hebraic term that means the grave or death. Some take it further to mean hell. But he says, if I go into death, God, you are there. And then he says, if I go anywhere on earth, I kind of like... Uh, I didn't discuss translations with Nick this morning because uh, he knows I jump around between ESV and, and uh, see it, uh, Christian standard. But I, I want to read to you the ESV here. If I take the wings of the morning, people much smarter than me <laughs> explain that this is the picture of a rising sun and a cloud that is just like little streams across the sky. And isn't it cool when you see a sunrise or a sunset and the red, the orange of the sun begins to light the clouds a certain way? Some say that David had in mind, if I could just take the wings of the morning, and ride the clouds from the east to the west. If I could just somehow teleport myself and send myself to the, even the depths of the sea, I would find you there. So it sits heavy on us this morning that He's omniscient. He knows everything about us. He's the all-knowing God. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere, and we can't run from him. He goes on to say in the next verse, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. 
Where can I go from your presence? Heaven, you're there. Death, you're there. Anywhere on earth, you're there. Catch this next part. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as the day, and darkness is as the light with you. Have you ever experienced the dark night of the soul? Have you ever experienced so much pain, so much rejection, so much disappointment? They just seem to take the breath out of you. And you lost your song. You lost your joy. David had been on a wild roller coaster in his life. And I'm sorry he had to experience it. But I'm so glad he lived through it and could write about it. And that God could inspire him to inspire us. That even in the darkest night of the soul. Oh God, you are there. If that happens to be where you are this morning, I just want to say to you, even in the darkness, it's not dark to the Lord. And as we cry out to him and say, I don't know what's next, but I'm sure glad that you, know, you do. And I trust you, Lord. I trust that you are there in such a way that you have a plan for my life because you are the all-knowing, ever-present God. Somehow that moved David to the next six verses. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Lord, you've always known me. Do you believe that God knew you before you were born? How's your view of God? Is God like a vending machine that you come to and try to do some good deed and see if he'll give you something good back? Or is God to you this ever-present, all-knowing, yet committed-to-me kind of God. He says, you knew me when I was knitted in my mother's womb. I'm sure we could watch some time-lapse photography, and maybe some of you ladies have tried to watch what was going on inside of you to get some idea of what was going to happen next if you were carrying a child. But as you look at God knitting together, bringing together from what appears to be almost nothing, and then it begins to form into a perfectly tied together, like a skilled craftsman who puts bones and skeletons together in a skeletal system and makes nerves and veins work together. He says, in, I'm going to skip verse 14 for just a second. He says in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. 
he keeps making reference to God seeing him in his mother's womb. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. So God knew us even when we were being formed. Do you believe he's that kind of God? We go back to verse 14 and and all of these things of looking at how God could look at us before anyone else could even see us. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul knows it well and I worship you. You know, this morning, the amazing thing about your heart and what it's doing inside of you is you don't have to sit here and say, beat, 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 and get afraid that you're going to get busy and forget to tell it to beat, to beat, to beat. You don't have to tell your lungs, breathe, breathe. All that's going on. Why? Because the master designer put together all of these systems and made it work. And when we stop and think about how he makes it work, it ought to make us say, oh Lord, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So verse 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, but it goes on. In your book was written for me, every one of them, the days that formed for me, even before one of them was actually lived. Think about it. Before you lived a single day, the Lord knew which day you'd die. Before you lived a moment here on earth, he understood when your moments here on earth would be over. I found myself this morning on the way here just kind of singing this prayer to the Lord. Lord, before I live a single day, you knew the day I'd die. And it's hard for me to understand time and eternity because you didn't start and you're not going to end. But I, I had a start and I'm going to end and, Lord, I don't understand. I, I don't get that. But I know that you're that kind of God. And that's who you are. Now, when you're reading in the Psalms, and I hope you, if you get compatible, if you get confused on my base 30, you'll at least try to read the Psalms in your quiet time before the Lord. And when you come to this place, you'll find yourself at times reading along, and then you read a phrase and you go, wow. That reminds me of something else in the Bible. Listen to this. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not, there was none of them before there was even a single one of them. Written in your book. Makes me want to imagine. So does everybody have a book? I mean, is there a book with everybody's name on it? And does God have a whole host of angels? I don't know. They can't hold a pen. I don't don't know how it's been recorded, okay? But it says there was recorded in, in his book everything about us. Now, what does that remind you of? You've been to church. What, is, what does that remind you of? 
It reminds me of the scene in the book of Revelation. When over here at the end of time, the scripture says that the books were open. And everyone's life was judged by their deeds in those books. And trust me, compared to God, every one of us, when those deeds are made known, as they are presently known, we deserve to go spend eternity in hell. Every one of us. But what an incredible scene. Because there in the Revelation it says, And another book was opened called the Lamb's Book of Life. And anyone whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life could spend eternity with Him. Those who found themselves judged spend eternity in the lake of fire. We know what that is. I don't care what year this is. I'm talking about how time ends, so I'm not too sophisticated to tell you. That's what the Bible says about forever. But the Bible says about forever that when our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, we can live forever with God. So I've got to stop and ask. When you come into a place like this, We open God's word. You find yourself thinking of God. Do you know how to have a relationship with him? Do you know how to get your name written in the Lamb's book of life? The Bible makes it very clear. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve to die because of what's written in our book of failures, even with our book of kind of successes. We're not good enough. So we've all sinned and we come to understand that when Jesus died, he had a perfect book because he had never sinned. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay on my son the sin of everyone else and pay what they couldn't pay or what they don't want to pay, but what they deserve to pay. I'm going to pay for sin through Jesus. And I'm going to offer forgiveness through him. And when any of us come to the place that we recognize, oh God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I cry out for your mercy. I believe Jesus died for me. Something incredibly mysterious and eternal happens. God writes our name in the Lamb's book of life. And we can forever live with him. And I can't read David without thinking. Before I lived a single day, you knew every day I'd live. And before I lived a single day, you knew I needed a Savior. And you sent Jesus to die for me. So, Lord, how precious are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count everything that you do, it would be more than the sands by the ocean. And I like this. When I awake, 
you're still there. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to say, well, here's another day. And God, you're still here. One little boy said he knelt by his bed where he'd always prayed. And he said, God, this is the last time I'm praying here. We're moving to California, so I guess I need to tell you goodbye. And he said, lo and behold, when I got to California, I got ready to go to bed at night, and I knelt by my bed, and I said, wow, God, you're here too. Lord, your ways are so incredible. Your knowledge is so wonderful. You have designed me. You have prepared a destiny for me. You know my life from start to finish. You know, in the New Testament, we read a verse that says, He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. I heard someone say one time, everyone that God has used in an incredible way had a sense of destiny about their life. Do you? Do you have a sense of destiny about your life? That all the good and all the bad you've ever known and ever experienced it, when put on the altar before the Lord, can be the very thing that God uses to get himself glory and to work in other people's lives. I have an incredible sense of destiny that if I wake up tomorrow, when I wake up, God will be there having something prepared for me to do. And I can tell you, I can almost 100% bet you it's going to have something to do with people because God's in the people business. And whatever I do with my hands and my brain at work, God's work through me is going to have something to do with people. Now, there's another day and another time for me to talk about the people in David's life. I'm not afraid of verses 19 through 22. I just don't want to preach them right now, okay? He had some people after him. I do like the way he started it. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. At least he understood it was God's job, not his. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. There's nothing we can do to extract justice out of somebody else. But David was struggling in real life from people that hated him and hated God. And he told God about it. And let's don't be so spiritual to say that we've never done that. God, I don't want to tell you what to do, but if I were God, I'd kill that guy, right? I mean, sometimes you feel that way. And, and he was just laying it out to the Lord saying, I know you got all this figured out. And I, you need to notice that right over there, all right? I mean, that's what was going on as he prayed it. But then he ends with what seems to be a little incredible to me. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, wait a minute. Didn't this thing start with, O Lord, you have searched me and known me? 
Didn't this whole psalm start with the fact that God had dug into the deepest parts of your life and he had gotten to where he needed to be and he had done in you what he needed to do? He's already, past tense, completely searched you and known you every moment. You can say that. And yet David says, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. How does that go together? Boy, I'm so glad you asked. Because this is how worship works. Lord, I know I'm an open book to you. I know you know everything about me. You see right into me. You see right through me. I can't fool you, Lord. I know that. But here's my heart. Search me. Try me. Point it out to me. Can I give you a little hint about how God convicts his children? Before we came to know Christ, whenever we sensed conviction from the Lord, it was like, you deserve death. You deserve condemnation. You have sinned and you're apart from me. And it's that general, complete kind of condemnation that we all have experienced if we know Christ because we came to the end of ourselves and saw we couldn't save ourselves. But did you know that that's the only time when God lays that kind of condemnation on us? Once we come to know Christ, God convicts us specifically. Don't do that. Do this. Hey, don't act like that. Let Jesus do this through you. It's very specific. If you're a child of God this morning and you say, search me, O God, and know my heart, and all you hear is this, this general, I don't deserve to have a relationship with God, I've messed up so much, that's not coming from God. That's the evil one trying to condemn you. For when you say, search me, O God, and know my heart, if you know Christ, <laughs> he'll put his finger on something you need to fix. And aren't you glad he's just like a father with a little kid who doesn't try to fix everything at once? I mean, a wise father knows with his preschooler, if we can just get him to quit throwing stuff off the high chair, okay? We succeeded, okay? He's just doing one thing at a time. And your loving Heavenly Father, when you go to him and you say, would you search me, Lord? Would you try me? Would you see if there's anything in me that needs to be corrected? He knows what to say. And then look at how it ends. And lead me in your everlasting way. Lord, I'm going to sit before you. I'm going to wait before you. And I want you to show me anything I need to make right. And you know, I'm not trying to put my words together in a clever order, but think about it. When we cover stuff up, God uncovers it. But when we uncover things, God covers it. 
Think about it. When we try to cover things up, God says, hey, we got to talk about that. But when we come to the Lord and say, I confess my need, he says, the blood of Jesus paid for your wrong. You confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So this morning, I want us just to end this time of Bible study with this one passage before us. And I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and wait before the Lord. And I'm just going to read it to you again. So if you just listen to the Word of God, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious, grievous thoughts. And see if there's any hurtful way in me. I'll agree with you, Lord. I'll confess it to you, Lord. And would you lead me in your eternal, everlasting way? Because, Lord, you're in charge and I'm not. You know what's ahead of me and I don't. But I trust that when I get there, you'll be there. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. So I'm not going to run from your presence. I'm going to run to you.